moment-to-moment choices that help us to get through the turbulent times, even when we ourselves don't believe that we can do this. Having a practice every day reminds us that if I can sit with myself for 10 minutes and be with my scary thoughts and, and emotions and not be overtaken by them, then I can do this. I can get through this. Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. This is Nishant, and welcome to the Nishant Girl Show. This is a podcast about helping you live a fulfilled life. And my job on the show is to invite world-class experts to extract the practices, routines, and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Today's guest is Cheryl Jones. Cheryl has devoted her entire career as a healthcare professional to exploring and teaching best practices that can easily be incorporated into everyday life. Her background includes undergrad and a master's degree in health and exercise science. Curious about the mind-body connection, she was drawn to the UMass Medical School where she completed extensive teacher training in the science-supported mindfulness-based stress reduction MSBR program under Dr. John Kabat-Zinn himself. Expanding on this holistic approach to well-being, she studied spiritual counseling at the University of St. Joseph. She founded The Mindful Path in 2003, where the mission is to engage and empower people with mindfulness skills so they can improve the health and well-being in all areas of life. She also authored two books to help you live more mindfully. Book number one is Thriving When Your Cosmic Egg is Cracked. Book two is Mindful Exercise, a bridge between yoga and exercise. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Sherid. Cheryl Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nishan. It's so such a treat to be here. My pleasure. We all have a story and I'm looking forward to start with your story because you have so many stories from your past. So I thought that how about we start with what did you have in the breakfast? What did I have for breakfast? Oh, today I had my super green smoothie with kale and celery and apple and peanut butter and a whole bunch of other good things. For peanut butter, what kind of a brand to use? <laughs> oh my gosh, I see the I see the label, but I can't remember the the name of it. Organic, I can tell you that. <laughs> While I was doing homework on your work, I found that that you started your meditation and mindfulness journey through a bookstore where you found a book from a gentleman. Could you speak to that? Oh, sure. You know, it's funny how um, life works. I It was one of those moments where I was walking through the streets of Newport, Rhode Island, and I was with actually my husband at the time and we were just kind of strolling and all of a sudden I found myself, you know, picking up the pace and walking more purposefully. And I remember him saying to me, where are we, what are you in such a rush for? Where are you going? And I said, I don't, I don't know, but let's go up around this corner. And I 
I really did feel like I was being guided and walked into this bookstore. And the woman who came up to me said, you know, can I help you? And literally my eyes welled up and I said, I don't know what to do next. And I even surprised myself with that saying to a perfect stranger. And she didn't skip a beat. She said, oh, I have the perfect book for you. And she walked me over to a table and she handed me John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And this was 1995. And it changed my life. You know, my son was two at the time and I started reading it. And then at the end realized oh my gosh, this is UMass Medical School. This is in Worcester. You know, at the time I was living outside of Hartford and I thought I could do this. I could be trained in this. So it was really the beginning of a a completely new direction in my life that changed my life in so many ways. Cheryl, what was your self-talk before reading that book? Oh, you know, I'm an, I was an exercise physiologist, and I, I am. That was my initial training. My graduate work is in exercise science and health education, and I'm a mover. That's what I do. <laughs> and I just never thought I could be still enough to meditate. You know, I admired it. I, I had heard about meditation, and of course, like maybe a lot of people, I had you know, some preconceived notions of what I thought mindfulness was, you know, sitting cross-legged for long periods of time, chanting, whatever. But I didn't have any judgments about it. I just didn't think I, being, you know, a mover, a triathlete, a bodybuilder, that I could actually sit still. (laughs) And then I learned through, you know, John Kabat-Zinn's book that meditation isn't what I thought it was and that maybe I could learn how to do this. Then what did you realize what meditation is? Well, because I am a a trained teacher in a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, what I learned was what it means to have an awareness practice. You know, not all meditation is the same. There are many different forms of meditation, just like there are many different forms of exercise. And so for me, mindfulness meditation has always been my practice because I've been very drawn to what does it mean to be awake and aware in the present moment and to really understand and learn and discover, you know, the many benefits that that has, you know, on, you know, on my health and well-being. And so I was coming at it from, you know, a health perspective. How would this help me to uh, be healthier? And so what I learned through having a mindfulness practice and awareness practice is that number one, it helped me to reduce my stress I was in a very stressful marriage during those years, and I was wanting to bolster my own coping abilities. And so what I discovered immediately was that it was some, something that I could be in charge of to navigate the stress that I was experiencing in my new marriage. 
And beyond stress reduction, I was able to start to, you know, not be afraid of my feelings to start to be able to be more comfortable being uncomfortable and therefore feeling more resilient and more confident. And also having a mindfulness practice led to me making other choices of what I did or didn't do, you know, when I was a a new mother, you know, it led me to a yoga practice. It led me to the university of St. Joseph's where I studied spirituality So it helped me to make choices that helped me to live according to my own personal values. I'm curious to ask you that. Could you talk about some of the choices, if anything comes to your mind, that you made before having mindfulness practice and those choices may not turn out well for you? You know, when I think about life pre-mindfulness practice, I think I was probably powering through life. I had my own business as a personal trainer in New York City. I had a staff of 11 personal trainers. I was running a business. I was burning the candle at both ends. I was managing chronic sore throats. You know, so I was powering through my life on autopilot, you know, doing that, which I, I thought I was supposed to be doing, you know, I had supported myself since I was 18 years old. So that was all I knew was powering through, you know, solving problems under the gun, so to speak. And so that became a pattern in my way of thinking and behaving and showing up in my life. And I would wear myself out. And then as soon as I would feel better, I would get up and start wearing myself out again. (sighs) And so I think I was not living consciously. I was trying so hard to be healthy. You know, here I was with, you know, undergrad in health and physical education, personal trainer, helping everybody be healthy, you know, taking care of my own fitness. But just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. And that was my big wake up call. And. A lot of people think that if you are physically fit, then you are healthy and fit overall. So I'm I'm wondering that if you could elaborate more on not just having physical fitness and having overall emotional well-being, mental well-being and spiritual well-being is necessary for our life. It really is. And I think, you know, we start wherever we start, right? We begin from which we're... We meet ourselves where we are. And I think as long as we're doing something healthy, you know, maybe some people maybe are, you know, eating, but not exercising. Some people are exercising, but not eating so well. Some people feel like they can manage their stress. Some people feel like that they, they just stuff it down, right? There's so many different aspects of what it means to be healthy and well. And, you know, for me, drawing upon my wellness background, what I ended up learning you know, kind of my own evolution from, you know, exercise specialists into wellness coaching is that, you know, there are areas or dimensions of our wellness and they involve, you know, how we interact with other people. So our social well-being, 
our spiritual well-being. And by that, I don't mean religion. Of course, religion might be part of spiritual well-being, but I'm talking about something much different. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that if that would be helpful. But, you know, social, emotional, spiritual, physical, mental, professional, financial, these are all aspects of our health and well-being. So it's not just about, you know, how many miles we walk and how much physical activity you know, we're tracking and how many fruits and vegetables we're eating. So, yeah, I'm happy to, you know, dive into any of those components. If that yes, would be helpful. please. These days in particular, I, I do believe that, you know, spiritual well-being is the aspect of our health that we talk the least about. And what I learned from my training at University of St. Joe's is that, you know, what does it mean to have a sense of spiritual well-being? It means that we have a, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning in our lives, that we can live according to our values, that we feel like we belong in our families and in our workplaces. It means that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves, you know, whether that is simply energy or whether that is some understanding of God. So it's all of these dimensions of spirituality are so critical to our health and well-being. And there's a quote that um, I'm going to paraphrase that, you know, we are not human beings having a spiritual journey, but rather we are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is from Dr. Wayne Dyer. Yes. Yes. Thank you for reminding me who the originator of that was. And I truly, that so resonates with me. And I think we just need to find the language to unpack this. And that is what I'm very much dedicated to, you know, in this next chapter of my own career is to unpacking and translating that so that we really can create a higher way and a greater sense of personal well-being. And I believe that that would be very helpful, you know, on a larger scale in terms of our supporting our society as well. What are your personal practices to connect with your spiritual higher power or to work on your spiritual well-being? Yeah, so, you know, for me, there are a number of things And I do believe, uh, even though way back when uh, the words mindfulness and spirituality were not connected in my training, they always were for me. And so to me, I thought my mindfulness practice is absolutely the most powerful thing that I do to support my spiritual well-being, because having a mindfulness practice means that we stop to meditate. And so again, in MBSR, Uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, there are four mindfulness practices, and I still do all four of them these days. Um, Not all four every day, but I'm constantly, you know, bouncing back and forth between a sitting meditation practice, a lying down meditation practice known as a body scan, where we bring awareness to all the different parts of the body. My yoga practice and I bring mindfulness into whenever I'm walking or, or biking or lifting weights. 
And so those really are the mindfulness practices that I continue to rely upon for my own spiritual well-being. But I also read poetry and I enjoy starting my day with with readings, you know, from from great teachers of all traditions. And I pray. I was raised Roman Catholic, so I do I do pray as well. And so these are some of the practices that I do when I'm by myself. But I also believe that it's very important to bring the presence that I'm cultivating when I'm by myself practicing into my interactions. And so bringing the level of awareness and intention into my work and the way that I work, you know, I no longer burn the candle at both ends. I'm, you know, very much about taking care of myself throughout the workday and, you know, bringing a particular level of presence into each and every conversation. So those are some of the ways that I bring my practice to life, Nishant. They are all wonderful practices, Cheryl. And I would like to ask you that when you lift weights, do you listen to any music or anything or you just mindfully work on that? You know, I think it's 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 not that I have one set way of lifting weights. You know, I've got my dumbbells lined up and it really just depends on what the moment is calling for. And I think having an awareness practice, we come to trust ourselves to say, in this moment, what is the most self-caring choice I make? You know, what would help me the most now? And sometimes I will put on some music and I will lift weights to music and really get into the beat and the rhythm and the voice and enjoy that kind of getting pumped up. But when I, when I need something that's more grounding, you know, not so much on, you know, that upbeat kind of energy that I'm looking for, when I need to get myself balanced and grounded, I will lift weights in silence and really connect my breath, you know, with the, the physical moves. So if I'm doing a bicep mm -hmm. curl, I will, you know, take a breath in and then exhale as I'm lifting and then inhale as I'm lowering and I'll notice the space between my in-breath and my out-breath. I'll notice the space between the contraction of the muscle and then the relaxation. I'll tune into the experience of what it feels like to move my body and all of the sensations that are occurring as I'm moving my body. So there's no right or wrong. It's about knowing what we need, what would be the most helpful thing in any given moment. And which is challenging knowing what we need in that present moment because we never stop we never take a pause <laughs> we are on autopilot all the time yeah and i think that's one of the greatest gifts of mindfulness and i believe always the beginning point as you're say, as you're saying you know how do we make that shift from autopilot to choosing consciously and the first step to doing that, because that's a big thing, even it sounds big. Yes. <laughs> and so learning how to stop is the first step. 
training, retraining ourselves and retraining our brains and laying down new neural pathways in the brain so that we actually can make stopping a a habit. It can become our way of going through the day. Just like we know every 20 to 30 minutes, we have to stand up and move. It's not good to be sitting in front of our computers all day, right? That's creates stagnation and inflammation. And we know we can't be sitting all day. Well, I believe the same mentality is what we take to stopping. We know we can't be going all day. We must for our own health and well-being learn to stop just like we know for our health our well and well-being we have to learn to stand up get out of our seats we have to stop we have to stop and we can do it it's possible to practice stopping and to have stopping become a habit and for that to become a way of going through the day we can do it <laughs> yes Cheryl, earlier you mentioned that you read poetries in the morning and you pray, you read spiritual books. So who's your favorite poet? Well, I, I really love, I'll give you two names, uh, the work of Mary Oliver, and I also love John O'Donohue. They both speak to me in, in different ways. Do you remember, or if you could speak a few lines of their poems or any quote from them? I would say that, you know, I'll take one from, from John O'Donohue. This is some, a way that I actually start my, my day. And he writes, I bless the night that nourished my heart to set the ghosts of longing free into the flow and figure of dream that went to harvest from the dark, bread for the hunger no one sees. And it goes on from there, but you know, I think sometimes starting the day and even having a mindfulness practice. I mean, I'm a recovering workaholic, so I'm like jumping out of bed. Like I really wake up happy and excited every day and I'm like, you know, racing for the coffee pot and I'm already like thinking, okay, what am I going to do today? <laughs> Maximize this day. And then I remember this morning offering <laughs> And I will chime my bells. I have some meditation bells and, you know, they're nothing fancy. They're nothing mystical. They're just a reminder to stop. So I'll chime the bells. I'll read this morning offering. And then I go into my, you know, even if it's just a 10 minute meditation practice and I notice my urge to get going and I, you know, kind of sit with that discomfort or sometimes I just drop in and whatever it is, that to me is a very powerful way that I can remind myself to start the day, not only with enthusiasm for the day, but from a very balanced, clear place. Cheryl, what kind of meditation you prefer in the morning? My meditation practice is Typically, like if I'm sitting, which is what I did this morning, and uh, sometimes it is a sitting practice. Sometimes I will do what I call rolling around the floor <laughs> yoga. And because I just need to kind of work the kinks out, you know, if I wake up and my body feels achy or stiff, all I want to do is be on the floor. 
And I think that is a powerful thing that we can do to be able to lie on the floor and really feel the sensation of the body and contact with the floor and supported by the earth and, you know, just feel my belly um, rising and falling as I'm breathing and then kind of move into some very gentle uh, yoga moves and then come to a sitting position and, you know, do some more from a sitting, some just awareness of breathing from a sitting position. So that would be kind of my go-to favorite, work the kinks out, get on the floor, work the kinks out, sit up, and then do an awareness of, of breathing and set my intention for the day. And all of that really only takes, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes, you know, depending on, you know, what I choose for that day. Cheryl, we have used the word awareness many a times in this conversation. And as a listener to this podcast, I'm wondering what it means to have an awareness practice. <laughs> yeah, that's another big word, right? That's the thing. When you get talking about mindfulness, all these big words, like one big word leads to another. So let me see if I can help us break this down. Please. Um, so, and thank you for that question. So, Having an awareness practice, right? What are we actually paying attention to? So my experience with mindfulness is that it's not a it's not a concentration practice. We're not striving. We're not trying to focus on anything. Instead, we're giving ourselves permission to notice, to be awake and aware in the present moment. What? So we start with awareness of the breath, simply noticing that the body is breathing, right? The body is breathing without us telling it to do so. Thank goodness, or we'd all be dead, right? <laughs> so it's the awareness of this sacred act that the body does for as long as we're alive. So we're simply noticing that the body is breathing. And we're not trying to change or manipulate the breath. There's no breathing technique in the way that I've been trained. It's simply noticing that we're breathing and tuning into the sensations of the breath and resting our attention on the sensations of breathing. And as we start to slow down and give ourselves a little bit of space, we notice other things. So other objects of our attention, if you will, like the busy mind, right? We're sitting there aware of the body breathing, and we're also probably noticing thoughts racing through the mind. We also may be aware of emotions that we feel. We also may be aware of sensations in the body, all kinds of sensations. And we also may be aware of our surroundings, so sounds coming from within our space or outside of our space. So those are really, when we talk about having an awareness practice, we're talking about cultivating awareness in the moment of breathing, thoughts, feelings, sensations, and surroundings. And I'm curious to ask you, what acceptance really mean in the mindfulness practice? Oh, there we go. There's another word that's like so beautiful and powerful <laughs> and confusing. <laughs> you know, acceptance, let me start with what, where we get tripped up, and then I'll talk about how I like to understand acceptance. 
sometimes when we say the word acceptance, you know, we think that means accepting the, you know, perhaps unacceptable, if you will. And that maybe that that means that we're supposed to be passive and just, you know, accept whatever's happening for, for what it is. And that we don't have the ability to exert any power or be in charge of, of that. So the way that I understand acceptance and the way that I teach it through the lens of mindfulness, it is one of the primary attitudes of mindfulness. And it's really about acceptance in this moment. I may not like that I can feel my sciatica in the back of my leg as I'm sitting here. I may not like what somebody is saying in a conversation. I may not like the fact that someone did something that I don't agree with, right? So acceptance just means that for this moment, Things are as they are. So if I'm practicing acceptance, that means I'm willing to allow whatever is happening, whether it's within me, within my body, within any feelings I might be experiencing, any thoughts I might have. So accepting whatever is happening within me and accepting whatever is happening around me as it is in this moment. Could you that, give us an example, any example that comes to your mind when you were having any conflict with another person, you were having disagreements and you practiced acceptance of yourself and acceptance of the situation? Sure. So if I'm in a conversation with someone and and I'll, I'll use this as an example. Let's say um, I'm I could think of a conversation, you know, with someone at work where we were having maybe a difference in opinion about how we should bring a strategy forward. And I noticed that this person, what they were saying was really triggering a lot of strong emotion within me and thoughts. I'm thinking, are you kidding? That is the dumbest thing that you could possibly ever say. That is never going to work or feeling, you know, angry or feeling frustrated or, you know, any other strong emotion. So feeling this, this the intensity and my, and my wanting to explode like a volcano, but instead feeling my feet on the ground and tuning into my breath and really listening to what this person is saying and being aware that I'm breathing and following the flow of my breath. And this person didn't even see that I was doing that. It's just more that I was tuned into all of my thoughts and feelings and I could totally tell that my body was in fight or flight mode because my face was probably you know, red as a tomato, I could feel how hot it was. And just staying in that moment, allowing this person to finish their thought process, 
noticing my judging mind, <laughs> noticing the strong emotion, noticing the reactivity within my body and staying with it, staying and staying and staying and allowing this person to complete their thought process. And instead of reacting, and then when it was finally my turn to talk, I really wanted to say, well, here's what I think about it. This is my, this is what I think we should do. I asked another question. What's the best thing that you think will come out of doing it that way? You know, what could be any potential pitfalls? What, what do you see as potential problems? You know, so asking a how or a what question and letting this person mm. finish and even coaching, like drawing out from them, letting them really complete their thought process instead of jumping in and reacting and stating that my, you know, what my great idea was. So this is an example of something that I've, I've used numerous work relationship kinds of situations and even with my, my children and, and other family members. How would your children describe, Cheryl, what you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I, I think that they are uh, far more, they have a bit, way better understanding and far more accepting of uh, what it means to have a, a mindful mom. And, I, you know, I just try to be really transparent with them. You know, mindfulness isn't about being perfect. I could certainly look back on all kinds of situations, especially being a solo parent through a really difficult time, you know, where, of course, I would, you know, I could Monday quarterback and go back and think of all kinds of things I would do differently. But what I've learned is that mindfulness isn't about, you know, being perfect. It's about accepting myself as I am. And that's how I've always talked about this practice to my kids. And I think now they would describe what I do is helping people to, you know, be healthier. Love it. Have you taught them how to meditate? Yeah, and they, they did, you know, at the beginning of COVID-19, I did a bunch of Facebook live sessions and they actually joined me. And so you know, we do, we do practice together. You know, if we're out on a hiking trail, I will invite us to stop, just sit, take in the view, not talk, tune into the breath, feel grateful, you know, so we do. And it's fun. I would say, you know, first mindfulness helped me get my family through a, a difficult time. And now I feel like it's fun to watch my children grow and start to bring this into their into their lives it's truly a joy Cheryl our listeners would be curious to know about those struggling times and the stressful times if you're open to talk about that sure you know we all have a story and you know life is throws us all all curveballs and things that, you know, we would not ask for, or certainly, you know, would not see coming. And so, you know, my story is simply my story. I started my mindfulness practice in 1996. And thank goodness, because at the time I was thinking, oh, this will be really great for me to bring to my clients as another dimension of their health and well-being, blah, blah, blah. 
never thought that I would need to bring it to myself to really save myself. And that's exactly what I believe that uh, having a mindfulness practice did for me. My husband very early in our, in our marriage started to make some business decisions that were getting him into trouble legally. And uh, he wasn't able or chose not, I'll never know, to correct. He could not self-correct and ended up going to prison for 10 years. And I, we ended up getting divorced. I had to raise our children for a decade by myself. I had no child support, no alimony. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, so I didn't have a job when this all came down. And we really lost everything and had to file for bank- bankruptcy. And it was a time that was beyond stress. It was completely overwhelming. And every day I would just wake up praying for the strength to know how to take care of my children and find my way through this. And my mindfulness practice helped me to take care of myself so that I could stay healthy and take care of my children and eventually find my way to a corporate position at Aetna that changed my life. And if, if we can go deeper into this, what else did you do to make the ends meet during that struggling time? And I'm asking this because a lot of people struggle with that. And I have been there in that situation and not in the same situation, in the similar circumstances. And life is full of struggles. Life is not a happy thing every time, all the time. And that is why I, I chose to ask you that. How did you make those ends meet? Well, I, I had to think about, because when you're feeling very beat up, I was feeling, forget beat up, I was feeling like a steamroller rolled over me. I had, my self-esteem was so incredibly low and my self-confidence was crushed. And it took a lot of strength to reflect and I worked with a therapist and I had to kind of use my own my own care of other people for myself to ask myself what strength what are my strengths because at the time I it was hard to remember what I actually if anything had going for me and so I had to do a lot of exercises, which I do outline these in my book, Thriving When Your Cosmic Egg is Cracked, and a lot of self-reflection on, you know, had to build to build myself up again. What do I have going for me? How am I going to just get through today? And what is the, the best thing I can do to care for myself right now? I had to not be overwhelmed by the biggest, scariest picture I ever thought I would face and be able to break it down into what can I be in charge of today? And I did end up getting a, a part-time job teaching health and physical education to high school students. And I was teaching mindful exercise and meditation at another 
fitness center and I was doing some personal training and coaching and I started to put together little pockets of revenue because of course the financial piece is a part of this and that's one of everyone's biggest stressors. So in, in, in addition to spiritual practices, I actually had to figure it out financially and was able to put together enough work to make uh, ends meet. And uh, eventually, when by the time I did get to my uh, corporate job, I had, I guess to back up for one second and say one more thing about all that, what ended up happening having the ability to break it down and not feel like I, I really did just want to crawl up into a ball in the corner. It was really hard to get up and every day say, okay, <laughs> how am I going to get through this day? Which is honestly why I probably jump out of bed every day. Now I'm so grateful <laughs> that I'm not in that <laughs> anymore. So it was the ability to break it down and not be overwhelmed by the big picture and to break it down into today and then to further break it down into this moment into moment to moment to moment to moment. And it's interesting how all of those moments of choices of choosing consciously did lead me to a, a huge cumulative benefit because it kept me from a having a nervous breakdown B, I was able to survive. I was able to, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that I was growing. I'm, I'm sure I was just surviving. <laughs> and then eventually, and then eventually, I did see that I had enough going for me and was able to string together enough to attract an amazing opportunity into my life. I hope that answers the question, Nishan. I love it. Thank you so much for explaining that, Cheryl. What advice would you give to somebody who is struggling in their life? And these days are struggling times for a lot of people. They are stressing out. Yeah, I think kind of connecting it back to, you know, the acceptance that, I don't know, like, I think growing up, no one ever really talked about, you know, growing up Catholic. No one talked about, you know, life will include joy and life will include suffering. It was all about, you know, Jesus died for our sins. But I never really, I'm like, okay, but what does that mean for, for me in my life? And so this sounds kind of obvious, but I, it was like a, an aha moment when I started practicing mindfulness that suffering is part of life and we're all going to struggle. And so I guess accepting that this is part of the journey, that of course we're going to have sorrow. And that's, you know, my, one of my favorite poems by Rumi is the, the guest house because Love it. it helps us to see that we can welcome. So that's acceptance to me. The ability to, maybe we're not, maybe welcome is a stretch, you know, that's after having a practice for a while. But the idea that we could welcome whatever life presents us with, as Rumi says, even if it's a crowd of sorrows, 
that we that's what acceptance means that of course that this we're going to have heartbreak in life but having heartbreak doesn't mean that it's going to be forever and it doesn't mean that it has to break us that even when we are struggling if we can learn some new skills and i see mindfulness as a practice and a skill that if we can learn to have a mindfulness practice that that is what helps us to make the moment to moment and choices moment to moment choices that help us to get through the turbulent times even when we ourselves don't believe you know that we can do this having a practice every day reminds us that we can if i can sit with myself for 10 minutes and be with my scary thoughts and and emotions and not be overtaken by them then i can do this i can get through this it's going to be one breath one moment one choice at a time what are the myths around mindfulness people are talking about mindfulness everywhere and i'm sure not everybody knows what mindfulness is so what are the myths around mindfulness sharil there are a lot of mis- myths and misconceptions about mindfulness which i think naturally come out of whenever something becomes popular and also when you're trying to unpack a practice that has so many layers I mean we could go on and on all day just here right <laughs> and so we've I think the myths and the mis- myth- misconceptions have come out of us trying to simplify and even for myself I notice how bringing mindfulness to a corporation you're constantly trying to break it down into understandable morsels for people because mindfulness does have so many layers so i don't think anybody did this on purpose but all of like this dilution and distortion of mindfulness which have led to these myths and misconceptions came out of trying to make mindfulness accessible to people and so i'll just start with that so some of the myths are that you know it's it's something that we have to practice for you know an hour at a time that you have to meditate for long periods and i would say that you know the research is telling us that 20 minutes is sort of that impactful number if we can make it or build up to a 20 minute practice that that is really ideal but to me any mindfulness is better than no mindfulness just like i would say to somebody look if you just because you can't go out and walk for 20 minutes doesn't mean you shouldn't take a lap around your building for 2 minutes or a lap around your living room for 30 seconds any movement is better than zero any mindfulness practice is better than zero so i think one myth is that in order for us to say that we have a practice we have to you know be meditating for long periods of time of course the more the better but we have to start wherever wherever we can 
one thing that comes up out of mindfulness practice too is that you know we're we're supposed to be sitting there in silence with no thoughts and just concentrating on the breath and in mindfulness practice again because it's an awareness practice we're actually learning how to skillfully work with our busy minds and so instead of blocking thoughts out we are allowing ourselves to notice one thought at a time as it passes through the mind and continuing to come back to the breath but learning how to work with the busy mind and to learning how to work with strong emotions those are a couple of the myths that i can think of i'm sure there are many many more so if you can and <laughs> sure i realize that we all are mindful creatures we all have this mindfulness unconsciously but with all these practices we are becoming more conscious we are bringing it more to the surface we all have it these practices have been there since ages these are ancient practices we just need to tap into our power that we already have through all these mindfulness practices conscious mindfulness practices yes that's so that's so true and it is it's it's something that is an innate part of our intelligence as human beings this capacity for awareness is part of being a human being it's just that with our social conditioning and the way that we've been educated and trained that it's an aspect of our intelligence that hasn't yet been cultivated but i do believe that is going to be our frontier our new frontier and the way that we are going to see ourselves through these challenging times whether it's through uh this holiday season whether it's through this pandemic whether it's beyond beyond the covid era yes and these practices are everlasting we can practice it during covid we can practice it even post covid and cheryl you were discussing about self esteem and self confidence when you were talking about your marriage part what could be some of the ways to raise our self esteem and self confidence because if they are not there it's difficult to thrive in the challenging times yeah that's a really powerful connection there and so thank you for the opportunity to offer here you know to me what having a mindfulness practice so again being able to sit with ourselves as we are with a sense of openness with curiosity about our our experience our present moment experience being with ourselves as we are with whatever is happening with our thoughts feelings sensations everything that willingness and that ability to rebalance ourselves helps us to be able to get out of fight or flight mode and back to what we call rest and digest and from this balanced state we can see a little more clearly so when we're wondering what the heck do i do now when we're going through a challenging situation how am i going to solve this problem we have more clarity we're not reacting 
you know, like a pinball machine to all of the darts that are, you know, all of the troubles that are coming at us. We can consciously make a choice, the best choice possible in that moment. And whenever we make a conscious choice versus a reactive choice, it's going to be a better choice. It's the chances of getting it right are a lot greater. And by seeing ourselves make helpful, effective, positive decisions, that is what raises our confidence. That is what raises our self-trust. That, oh, I can make good decisions even when everything is coming at me faster than I think I can manage. I am capable of making good decisions one at a time. And that's what starts to help us to trust ourselves and build confidence and raise our self-esteem. I believe that's how it works. Yeah, I love that. I wish we had more time and we could go and learn. I would like to conclude in a way that what's the impact you want to leave on this world? My intention has always been from when I was in high school, <laughs> you know, advocating for salad bars and healthy eating in our school cafeteria. It's the same as it is today. And it is to help people to live the healthiest life possible. And that means in all areas, areas of life, to be able to be healthy and effective and have a sense of, of well-being. And last but not the least, where can we learn about your work? Where can we find you online? Where can we find you in Boston? Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have a website and it is themindfulpath.com. And that's really the best place to connect with me. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And it's, again, The Mindful Path. So thank you so much, Nishan. Great. Any closing thought? Anything that you want to share before we wrap up? Well, thank you so much for having me. And to, to everyone out there, I truly wish you many mindful moments and uh, invite you to, no matter where you are in your life journey, to give yourself the gift of self-care. It, it is always the beginning to all good things that self-care isn't something that is selfish. It helps everyone who is in our lives and I do believe that uh, developing a mindfulness practice is a powerful a way that we can all take care of ourselves. So I invite you to, to engage and to learn and grow and even thrive during these uh, times. And I truly believe that we'll all get through this together. And may you thrive on. Thank you so much, Sherry. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g.me You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. 
you can also do this you got this don't judge yourself you are doing the best you can and thank you so much again <laughs>